today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. The reason we should repent and return to the Lord is because He's gracious, He's merciful, He's slow to anger and of great kindness because of His character, because of His nature. If we turn to Him, we are confident He will forgive us and cleanse us of our sin and restore us to a right relationship with Him. That's just His nature. That's who He is. It can be frightening to look at all of the horrible things the Bible says are going to happen in the time known as the great and terrible day of the Lord. But we shouldn't forget what it says about God's character, about His grace and His mercy. Pastor Dan reminds us in today's message about the goodness of God, about His desire for us to turn to Him with all our heart because of His mercy and His grace. The Bible says that God is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Isaiah chapter 13 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Isaiah 13, verse 10. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. In Matthew 24, verse 29, Jesus said, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. These cosmic events that will happen during the tribulation period. Isaiah 34 says, All the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine, and as fruit falls from the fig tree. These cosmic events that are going to take place. The sun is darkened, the moon is darkened, the stars... And then eventually at the end of the tribulation and the end of the kingdom age, Jesus makes a new heaven and the new earth. And it's all dissolved. It's all folded up like a garment, the Bible says. It's all rolled up like a scroll. He makes a new heaven and a new earth. Look at verse 11. The Lord gives voice before his army for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Who can live through it? And note note here what it says in verse 11. It's saying this judgment is from the Lord. It is the Lord's army. The Arabs actually call locusts the Lord's army. (laughs) You know, looking ahead to the tribulation period, looking ahead to the day of the Lord, it will be the day of the Lord. Right now we live in the day of man. But there's coming a day when God will interrupt human events and start the day of the Lord. And so now that brings us to verse 12. And in verses 12 and 13, we have the remedy. In verses 12 and 13, God gives us the way out. 
And the remedy is repentance. It's repentance. Repentance is always God's remedy. And verses 12 and 13 gives us one of the best descriptions of true repentance in the Bible. Look at verse 12. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning. The Lord says, turn to me. With all your heart, not most of your heart, but all your heart. Turn away from your ways, turn away from the path you're on, turn to the Lord with all your heart. During the tribulation period, the Jewish people will finally turn to the Lord with all their heart. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. And at that time, the people of Israel will turn to the Lord, finally. But God desires all of us to turn to him with all of our heart. To have a full commitment to him. Turn to the Lord with fasting, with weeping and mourning, which are indications of true, sincere brokenness over your sin and over your spiritual condition. You know, John the Baptist, remember, he said to the religious leaders, show fruit worthy of repentance. Well, this is fruit worthy of repentance right here. Fasting, weeping, mourning. Weeping over your sin, weeping over rebellion. Weeping over your spiritual condition, mourning. For what you've done. Psalm 51 verse 17 says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. The sacrifice that God is looking for is for us to have a broken spirit and a contrite heart. When we turn to him and he says, I'll never despise that. He always receives a person that comes to him with all of their heart and with brokenness and contriteness of heart, with true sorrow. Over their sin. True humility. He says, so rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Rend your heart, not your garments. You know, man looks on the outward. God looks on the heart. It's easier to rend your garments. Than to rend your heart. It's easier to show, you know, outward emotion, outward regret, outward repentance without a genuine change of heart. God wants a changed heart. God wants us to be broken hearted about our sin, about our rebellion. And look what it says again. He says, return to the Lord your God for you should underline that word for here's why here's why. For he is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and of great kindness. Please don't miss what he's saying here. The reason we should repent and return to the Lord is because he's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger and of great kindness because of his character, because of his nature. If we turn to him, we are confident He will forgive us and cleanse us of our sin and restore us to a right relationship with him. That's just his nature. That's who he is. 
See, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance because he's so good. Because he's so gracious and merciful and kind and forgiving and loving. We should turn back to him. We should turn back to him. Now, if it were to say here of God that God is hot headed and full of anger and fury and unforgiveness and he likes to punish people. Well, then don't turn to him. Run for your life. Get as far away from him as you can get and stay away from him. But that's not who God is. That's not who God is. It's not his nature. His nature is he's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's full of kindness. So return to him. Come back to him. And he'll forgive you. And he'll restore you. It's kind of like when Jesus says, men ought always to pray. And we can read that the wrong way and think, oh, I'm a Christian. I ought always to pray. I don't really pray enough. And we feel guilty. And, oh, man, I'm not a, I'm not a good Christian because I ought always to pray. And I hardly ever pray. Well, Jesus says, no, men ought always to pray because your God loves you and he likes to answer your prayers. So you ought to always tap into that, right? You know, you ought always to take advantage of that. I mean that in a, you know, a righteous way. You ought always to pray because your God likes to answer your prayers. You ought to turn to your Lord for forgiveness and salvation and restoration because he's gracious and merciful and slow to anger and full of kindness. That's who he is. So return to him and you can be confident he's going to forgive you. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. It's automatic. It's a sure thing. We can be confident. And then he says, now watch, watch verse 14. Then he says, and who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, like a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord, your God. I want you to note what Joel says here in verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, there's no question That if we turn to God, he will forgive our sins and restore our relationship with him. But you know, I know, that sin often has natural consequences to it. Sin often has affliction that goes along with it. Now, it's possible, this is what he's getting at in verse 14. It's possible that God in his mercy will also remove the natural consequences of your sin, perhaps... He will deliver us from the mess we've made of our lives or the affliction. But that part's not a certainty. We are certain of his forgiveness when we turn to Jesus Christ. So Joel says here in verse 14, who knows? He'll forgive you of your sins. That's a certain thing. And who knows? Maybe God will relent and remove the locusts and restore our land. And we can make grain offerings and drink offerings again. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. Billy Graham used to say, you can't unscramble eggs. And sometimes we can make such a mess. You just can't unscramble the eggs. And here's the thing. Here's the point I want you to get. That should not be your reason for turning to Jesus Christ. That should not be your reason why. You shouldn't turn to Jesus just to fix your problems or to get you out of the mess that you've made of your life. 
you should turn to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. To reconcile you back to God. That's why Jesus Christ came. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he was buried. And that's why he was resurrected. To save us from our sin. And to give us eternal life. We'll return to Pastor Dan's message in just a moment. First, Pastor Dan would like to tell you about the new Calvary Chapel Ellicott City app. We recently launched an app for our church and we're really excited about it. It's designed to keep you connected to our radio ministry, Ring of Truth, as well as to our church, Calvary Chapel. And get this, we have over 1,200 sermons on the app. The app is super convenient, it's easy to use, and allows you to listen to Bible studies anytime, anywhere. So download the app right now, search for Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in your app store, or just follow the links on our website at calvaryec.com. What a great way to stay connected to Scripture. Now, back to today's message on Ring of Truth. Being right with God should be our motivation to turn to Him. Not in the hope that He'll fix the mess we've made of our lives. Maybe he will. You know, in the Gospels, there's this story of the man who is paralyzed. You know that story? He's got the four friends, and he's on a mat. He's paralyzed. His four friends bring him to the house where Jesus is in this house, and he's teaching, and there's such a crowd at the house. It has spilled out into the yard, and they can't get anywhere. They can't get the guy in the house, so they go up on the roof of the house. They tear the roof off the house, and they lower the paralyzed man down, And lay him down at Jesus' feet inside the house. You remember what Jesus said to the man? Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, we might look at that man and think his number one need is healing of his paralysis. That's not his number one need. His greatest need is to have his sins forgiven and to receive eternal life. That's your greatest need. That's my greatest need. Is to have my sins forgiven. Now, do we pray and ask Jesus to heal? Do we ask Jesus to do things, to fix things, and to get us out of jams? Absolutely, we do. But the reason we come to him, our motivation is the forgiveness and salvation that he provides for us. And again, often, God in his mercy does fix our problems. He does get us out of the jam. But that should not be the main motivation for us to turn to him. Because if we do, and he doesn't fix the problem, he doesn't get us out of the jam, we think Jesus has failed. He didn't do what I wanted him to do. Well, he'll forgive your sins. He'll give you eternal life. He'll have a relationship with you. That's a guarantee if you turn to him. So verse 15 now, he says, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly. Remember back in verse one, he blew, he told the priest, blow the trumpet, sound the alarm. Now he's telling the priest, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babies Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, 
and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? He says here, tell the priest to call a solemn assembly or a sacred assembly. And notice here, everyone should attend. No one is excused from this assembly. That's how serious the situation is in Judah. That's how serious the people need to be about their situation that they're in as a nation. Notice what it says. Even the children and nursing babies should attend this assembly. We invite parents to bring their children and babies into uh, the main service, as long as they're able to sit quietly without being disruptive, of course. We invite parents to do that because it's good to bring our children and babies into the assembly of the Lord. So that our children can see their parents worshiping Jesus and praising the Lord and lifting their hands in worship and see their parents praying and studying the word of God and fellowshipping with other believers and ministering to other people and sitting under the word. It's part of the the training of a child in the Lord. This assembly is so important that bring your children Bring your your nursing babies. You don't need to get a babysitter. Bring them. Look at verse 16 again. Even those that were recently married were to cancel their honeymoon. To attend this assembly. We're going to be out of town on our honeymoon. Cancel it. You need to be at this assembly. In other words, This was not a time for people to carry on with their lives as usual. The nation was in trouble. Everyone needs to be there. Everyone needs to show up. God's judgment was upon the nation. And this was a time of repentance. This was a time for the whole nation to turn back to God with humility and brokenness. It's interesting that even those who were recently married were to attend this assembly. If you remember in the Gospels, Jesus said, as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. B. Jesus said when he comes again, he will find people living life as usual, just kind of carrying on as if there was no impending judgment, just kind of carrying on as if they weren't facing any kind of big trouble, just going on about their lives as normal instead of calling an assembly and fasting and mourning and weeping for their sin and turning to the Lord for forgiveness. And so we shouldn't be surprised, I would say. We shouldn't be surprised if people seem indifferent spiritually. We shouldn't be indifferent, right, as followers of Christ. We shouldn't be surprised if people are just kind of indifferent spiritually about what's going on. We don't see any kind of urgency or any kind of necessity to seek the Lord. Jesus said that's how it's going to be when he comes. Look at verse 17 again. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Remember that at this point, they they aren't able to make sacrifices. They aren't able to worship at the temple because of the, 
the plague. There's no grain to offer. There's no wine to offer. And he's let the priests weep between the porch and the altar. And, and here's their prayer. He even tells them what they should pray. He says, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? He tells them what to pray. Spare your people, O Lord. Do not give your heritage to reproach. That's a good prayer to pray. In these days, spare your people. Don't give us over to reproach. Don't give your heritage to the nations, is the idea here, to the heathens. And I want you to notice here that this prayer is most concerned with God's reputation and God's glory. They're not praying, you know, spare your people, O Lord, because we don't want to go through this. Spare your people, O Lord, we don't want to suffer. No, they they pray, we don't want people to mock your name. We're concerned about what the heathens are going to say about you. We're concerned about your reputation. God's reputation and glory should be at the foremost of all of our prayers. Not not just praying for what we want, but how does this bring glory to God? What will bring you the greatest glory? I don't want this to affect your reputation in a negative way. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness. We thank you that you're slow to anger. We thank you that you invite us to turn to you and come back to you. And you're always willing to forgive us. No matter how many times we fall or turn away or wander away from you, Lord. You always take us back. Lord, you always forgive, you always restore. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that we would be people who see the things going on in the world through the lens of Scripture, through end times prophecy. I pray that we would be people who sound the alarm in our generation. Tell people and warn people of the judgment to come and their need for salvation. Lord, I pray that we would be people of prayer, that we would pray, pray for our nation, pray for our community, pray for our families and our friends who don't know you. Lord, we we love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. You've been listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Pastor Dan has been teaching through the book of Joel, and he has more to share with you next time. In Joel 2.25, it says, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. 
Are you in a season that relates to this verse? Perhaps there are circumstances that seem impossible to restore, and yet God gives these kinds of promises in the Bible, proving that He desires to rescue and restore the things that are broken and seemingly destroyed. If you're in a devastating place, feeling hopeless about the metaphoric locus in your life, would you call and talk with us? Our desire is to hear your heart, pray with you, and ask God for healing from this trial. Our number is 410-491-4592. That number again is 410-491-4592. You can also send us an email through our website, calvaryec.com. Just find our info under the About tab. If you're not connected with a local church, we encourage you to find a church family that will help guide and support you in your faith. And if you're in the area, please join us at Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in Columbia, Maryland. For more details, visit calvaryec.com. In our next edition, you'll have the opportunity to learn additional things from this Old Testament prophecy book. Pastor Dan has more to share from the book of Joel here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the 